A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we're talking space. Outer space, that is. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Read Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Read Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And we are back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad you're here. I have a confession to make. And I may have let on this fact before, but I don't think so. I am kind of a space geek. Now, I know, especially nowadays, people, you know, are very anti-space exploration, and that's fine. You know, you can have your opinion. I think it's important. I probably I probably got a lot of interest in it when I started noticing the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 uh, moon landing uh, had come around. And it brought back a lot of memories as a 10-year-old boy sitting in my folks' basement on Woodward Street. Nice, cool basement in the summer. Staying up really late to watch Neil Armstrong head down this ladder and walk on the moon. This, I mean, as a child, this was a big deal to me. And I guess that child in me still exists because I, I, I still think it's a pretty amazing thing that we did. And I've written about this and I know you may not want to hear about it again, but it's important because we need to look back and see what we did in a very low technology period of time compared to today. Um, this was 1969, 1969. And we did that and we went to the moon and nowadays we can't because we've got too many other things we want to deal with. And we're, we're, we're sort of beginning to see the importance of science uh, now. And space exploration is part of science. Let's face it, folks. And I, I'm not trying to convert you or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, it's, I think it's an important thing. It may be in the way, 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 way long run. But I think we're going to be happy as a species maybe a thousand years from now that we were able to move to Mars. We may find out that we we have to move to Mars. We may find out that uh, the Earth is going to be destroyed by, by asteroids, which is a very real possibility. And they're looking at them, a lot of them right now. I mean, we don't have anything coming up, 
that's been broadcast, but um, it could happen. And, uh, you know, this, uh, the idea of space exploration is cool to me also because of when I first saw a great movie by a great film director, Steven Spielberg, called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, I was, I was, I guess, a teenager. I think I was just out of high school. And that, <clears throat> that was really, I think, a great movie. I think it's one of his greatest movies. Everyone is really excited now about West Side Story being his greatest movie, and that's fine. It might be. But I, I really loved Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I finally, <clears throat> excuse me, I finally just found it on eBay on DVD, and I received it uh, about a week ago. And boy, it's it's great seeing that movie again with special features and things that come with a DVD. And um, I'm, what I'm going to do, <clears throat> I'm going to play some things space-related, uh, things that I've done in the past, things that I made special today, uh, there's a few things about Apollo 11 in here. One from Ralph Taylor, who I believe died in the second shuttle accident. And it's a poem. And there's another one from an eight-year-old person by the name of Zoe, who talks about Apollo 11. Then I, I slipped in some things I did by Carl Sagan. One is called Man and His Arrogance. This is one of the best recordings of spoken word I've ever done, anywhere, anytime. And I really hope that you like this because I think it's great, patting myself on the back. The other one is Pale Blue Dot, which I uh, post on Facebook every Earth Day. Like it or not. Uh, <laughs> it's... Um, it's pretty good, I think. And also, uh, thinking about space exploration, I ha I can't not think of Shatner and Star Trek. Uh, I did a recording of the music of Star Trek um, and also an article. But it's not an article, excuse me. It's a piece of a, uh, Shatner's autobiography. And I don't have the name of it in front of me. I, I read like a few paragraphs of it. It's about Shatner and his experience, uh, not only as an actor, but also he goes into this uh, time where he had to communicate with a gorilla for some sort of charity uh, thing. And after that, well, I'll tell you later. Let's listen now, and I'm I'm not going to uh, interrupt after each of these. There might be a few stingers, like I've said before, um, but it'll go right into um, the next item, and we're going to start out uh, today uh, with Ralph Taylor. Apollo 11 by Ralph Taylor Armstrong, Collins, and Aldrin were the three that made up the crew. To be the first men to set foot on the moon was what they were determined to do. 1969 was the year that it happened. 
16 July was the day. Early that morning the blast-off took place. Apollo 11 was sent on its way. They went over their plans for three or four days, on their way as they traveled through space. Then it was time to descend to the moon and gently land on its face. On 20 July, they made their descent in the lunar module they commanded. History was made when we heard these words, Houston, the eagle has landed. Neil Armstrong stepped out of the eagle and uttered these words so defined. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. An American flag was left on the moon as a reminder of what they had done. They returned to Earth on July 24. Their success was second to none. This event went down in history. Its success helped us to learn that though other planets are quite far away, we can go there and safely return. Apollo 11 by Zoe Goodman, Grade 8 The spacecraft is like a long, narrow tunnel. The astronauts are white marshmallows. Smoke pours out of the spacecraft like a chimney. The crowd is a pack of dogs screaming with excitement. Apollo 11 was ready to take off. The man on the speaker filled the country with his voice. Three, two, one, take off, he said. The engine roared like a hungry lion as it lifted off Earth. The launch is as amazing as a firework. A massive bright light pushes the spaceship high into the sky, leaving a smoky trail behind. It is as small as an ant now way up high. Apollo 11 breaks through the Earth's atmosphere. The stars are millions of light bulbs. Earth looks like a fake picture so extraordinary. No need for gravity. Astronauts are as light as feathers. Man in His Arrogance by Carl Sagan. See that star? It might not be there anymore. It might be gone by now, exploded or something. Its light is still crossing space, just reaching our eyes now. But we don't see it as it is. We see it as it was. Many people experience a stirring sense of wonder when they first confront this simple truth. Why? Why should it be so compelling? The immense distances to the stars and the galaxies means we see everything in the past, some as they were before the Earth came to be. Telescopes are time machines. Long ago, when an early galaxy began to pour light out into the surrounding darkness, no witness could have known that billions of years later, some remote clumps of rock and metal, ice and organic molecules, would fall together to form a place that we call Earth. And surely, 
nobody could have imagined that life would arise and thinking beings evolve who would one day capture a fraction of that light and would try to puzzle out what sent it on its way. We can recognize here a shortcoming, in some circumstances serious, in our ability to understand the world. Characteristically, willy-nilly, we seem compelled to project our own nature onto nature. Man, in his arrogance, thinks himself a great work worthy of the interposition of a deity, Darwin wrote in his notebook, more humble and, I think, truer to consider himself created from animals. We're Johnny-come-latelys. We live in the cosmic boondocks. We emerged from microbes and muck. Apes are our cousins. Our thoughts are not entirely our own. And on top of that, we're making a mess of our planet and becoming a danger to ourselves. The trapdoor beneath our feet swings open. We find ourselves in bottomless freefall. We are lost in a great darkness and there is nobody to send out a search party. Given so harsh a reality, of course, we are inclined to shut our eyes and pretend that we are safe and snug at home, that the fall is only a bad dream. If it takes a little myth and ritual to get us through a night that seems endless, who among us cannot sympathize and understand? We long to be here for a purpose, even though, despite such self-deception, none is evident. The significance of our lives and our fragile planet is then determined by our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodians of life's meaning. We long for parents to care for us, to forgive us of our errors, to save us from our childish mistakes. But knowledge is preferable to ignorance. Better by far to embrace the harsh reality than a reassuring fable. Modern science has been a voyage into the unknown, with a lesson in humility waiting at every stop. Our common sense intuitions can be mistaken. Our preferences don't count. We do not live in a privileged reference frame. If we crave some cosmic purpose, then let us find ourselves a worthy goal. Pale Blue Dot Carl Sagan 1994 Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust, suspended 
in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.
Up Till Now by William Shatner Chapter 1 Call me Captain James T. Kirk or Sergeant T.J. Hooker or Denny Crane or Twilight Zone passenger Bob Wilson or Henry V or the Priceline negotiator or... Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I've been a working actor for more than half a century, and I've played so many different roles on the stage, on television, and in the movies, that it would be impossible to focus on just one of them. Besides, my career as an actor is only part of my story, so I realized I couldn't begin this book that way. Then I decided I was going to start this book by telling the story of my memorable meeting with Coco the Gorilla. In 1988, to help the Gorilla Foundation encourage Californians to contribute to its endangered species campaign, I was permitted to visit Coco the Gorilla in her quarters. Coco was an extraordinary animal who had learned to communicate with human beings. She was able to sign more than Six hundred words. But more impressively, as her handlers told me, she understood the meaning of those words. She knew the signs for water and for bird. And the first time she saw a duck landing on a lake, she signed water bird. That displayed a synthesis of knowledge. So, you see, she was obviously very intelligent. As I walked into that room... I was reminded that she was an imposing, powerful animal. Smaller gorillas have been known to tear off men's arms in anger. I am not often afraid, but truthfully, I was frightened. There is a form of acting that teaches, feel it and say it, and that feeling will be revealed through your words. The English form is quite different. Say it, and then you feel it, to deal with my fear of this magnificent animal. As I got closer and closer to her, I found myself saying, I love you, Coco. I love you. I said it earnestly and honestly, and I looked directly in her eyes as I spoke. I crouched over a little to show submission, moving forward rather than backward to show I was not afraid. Over and over I repeated, I love you, Coco. I love you. And as I said it, I began to feel that love. Finally, I stopped directly in front of her and looked into her deep brown eyes and saw her furrowed brow and her enormous hands. I love you, Coco. And with that, she reached out and grabbed me by the balls and looked me right in the eyes. After a slight pause, in a substantially higher voice, I tried to repeat, I love you, Coco. Obviously, these words had more significance than a few seconds earlier. Now, uh, getting into music. Well, obviously, there's a lot of musical pieces and songs about space, about outer space. Uh, it's a prime subject, I think. And um, you heard, of course, the Alexander Courage theme music to Star Trek that I just played. But what I want to play for you now is what I think is the best song 
about exploring space, even though it's very, it's pretty simple. It doesn't go on and on and on about what astronauts do. It maybe only skims the surface, but it's David Bowie and Space Oddity. And I decided to sing it myself. I hope you like it. Ground control to Major Tom Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom Commencing countdown engines on Check ignition and may God's love be with you This is ground control to Major Tom Made the grave, and the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. Now it's time to leave the capsule if you dare. This is Major Tom to ground control. I'm stepping through the door. I'm floating in the most peculiar way And the stars look very different today For here am I sitting in a tin Can you hear me, 
you liked it. And I hope you liked today's episode because that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom Reads Your Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today because we're always looking for new ones. Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye now. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.